Good morning. Uh, welcome to the Elam Church Bewbush live stream. Uh, I realise normally we're from the uh, barn and we have a sort of congregation with us and uh, then there's some online but uh, today um, sadly uh, we have to do everything online. Uh, my family's are isolating for uh, uh, an op in the family and I just want to say thank you to everyone uh, that has uh, been praying uh, that it will go really well. And uh, just to uh, appreciate your uh, patience as we sort of, it seems to take a step back, but um, hopefully uh, it's only a one-off um, and that the we'll recommence uh, uh, next week uh, in-person meetings. Um, so uh, let me uh, open in a prayer and, uh, and then I will speak for sort of half an hour mm. and then we will join together on Zoom uh, uh, for sort of prayer, worship, prophecy, um, fellowship, and um, and uh, hopefully um, that will be a good experience too. So please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we adore you. You have done so much. Your qualities are glorious to behold. And uh, Lord God, more than that, you have uh, just done so much good for us. You have lavished your love and your grace and your peace on us and we just are excited by the fact that you would show more of yourself that you would reveal more of uh, our purposes and uh, um, what uh, what we can get up to and uh, Lord God I pray as we meet together I pray as we um, as I speak as we look through scripture um, and as later on and we sing and, and uh, pray together that you would be with us, that your Holy Spirit, who has uh, um, participated in church meetings from the beginning, that he would be here with us, that the same Spirit that excited those tongues of the first Pentecost would be amongst Elin uh, uh in June. Lord God, we just lift this meeting up to you, uh, despite all its shortcomings. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Excellent. Um, good to see a couple of comments. Uh, feel free to uh, uh, make them. Um, it just means that I know I'm uh, online and I'm being uh, received well. Um, so um, hopefully you're aware we are going as a church with this great Exodus story uh, told in uh, the book of Exodus in Scripture. This story of the Exodus is, is one of the uh, uh, main motifs that Israel are to um, sort of see God through and in and, and a way to see him as deliverer and, and Jesus would be the, the new Moses in the New Testament who would bring people out of bondage into freedom. So th this story uh, is uh, important historically, it's important uh, spiritually and it's important uh, prophetically. Um, as well and, and I really hope we're starting to get to grips with it um, and enjoy it, the, 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 all the nuances and uh, all the uh, different levels which this story uh, can be enjoyed on. So, uh, so far we, we have this old shepherd, he's living a nomadic life uh, uh, amongst uh, a bunch of nomads. He's, he's married, but he's uh, 80 years old now. And uh, 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 we've recently enjoyed his encounter with God, the encounter 
that he had with the God of his forefathers, of uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and there's this wonderful moment of revelation where God says, uh, Yahweh, I am. And uh, it's, uh, it's a holy moment. And Moses is invited to take off his shoes uh, to make himself vulnerable, to become into uh, uh, God's presence and, and to come home. Uh, and and it, it's a real uh, a wonderful uh, moment. And uh, so he's been trusted with God's name. And he's been told that his job now is to free an enslaved nation. This, this nation that uh, he was rescued from at an early age. This nation um, that he tried to intervene for and ended up killing an Egyptian and, and being ostracised by his people. Uh, he's been told to uh, lead them into a flourishing new land. And uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a great deal of promise uh, in his purpose. But how on earth is this going to be accomplished? You know, this is just a, um, this is an old guy cut off from many of his family ties. Where does he begin? How does he achieve this incredible feat? Well, um, Yahweh, this, uh, this God of the forefathers, um, he leads Moses through the steps. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Let me encourage you. Uh, especially as you're sat at home rather than uh, uh, in the building and worried about um, uh, sort of contamination stuff. Get a Bible, get your iPad, get your Amazon Kindle, get uh, notes and uh, engage with it because it's, it's proven that people learn more and uh, uh, take in more when they engage with it rather than just sort of veg out uh, uh, like we're a rerun of Holby City or something. So... Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. I see uh, Francis can't see anything. Hopefully uh, the other thumbs up and smiles means that's just Francis. Uh, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll carry on unless I see a load of other notes saying what is going on. So it says this in Exodus chapter 3. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then it goes on. The elders, in verse 18, The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a free day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favourably disposed towards this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So firstly, uh, 
we find that God promises Moses that the leaders of Israel, these people that had rejected him, will accept him. They will listen to him. They will take him on board. Um, and his background, his nomadic heritage, his uh, living in the wilderness for 40 years, his foreign family of Zipporah and his child Gershom, these, um, they may seem outlandish and outsiders. But the Jews will welcome him in. They will listen to him and receive him. And, and he will become one of them again. And more than this, he won't just become one of them. He will become a leader to them. He will lead the deliverance. And the Jews will, are going to accept that. And God says, you know what? You will speak to your people and they will receive you, not just as one of your own, but as someone that's going to lead them into a new chapter. That you are going to help rescue them from the systemic genocide that they have suffered again and again. And before pressing on, before going on to the other things, God said, it's worth noting this continuity between God's prophet, Moses, and God's people, Israel. The Holy Spirit is on Moses. You know, he will act in uh, incredible ways. The Holy Spirit is on him to speak the Holy Spirit is on him to make decisions. The Holy Spirit is on him to make leadership calls and take his people out. Um, and he has this authority of God again and again in different ways. And the people that were hostile to Moses, that were hostile to his efforts when he killed an Egyptian to rescue uh, a, uh, uh, an Israelite in bondage, they will see the hand of Elohim upon Moses. They will see that this 80-year-old nomad is a prophet to them. What they will do, they will recognise the Holy Spirit on Moses. And we find this continuity between the Holy Spirit on the prophet and the Holy Spirit on God's people. Here in the 21st century, thousands of years later, we Pentecostals especially, we, we still love and cherish and celebrate and uh, sort of uh, uh, pushed to the, to the front God's spirit. We think uh, uh, this uh, third member of the Trinity is, is uh, incredibly important and valuable and, and we uh, uh, enjoy the gifts and fruit that, he's br that he brings and, and in particular we uh, I hope that we value prophecy as, as, as a, uh, a, a real important part of our church meetings and experience and uh, this moment in Israel's history where the people of God recognise the prophet of God because of the Holy Spirit being in both it should remind us uh, of our own context. If you have a Bible, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Excellent. Someone's uh, come in with that. Hopefully some helpful advice for Francis. Um, so it says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. One Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, it says this. Now, we'll just start in verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, when you have church, each of you has a hymn 
or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up and you have this exciting expectation. When the church comes together it's not a performance, it's not just something that the leaders up the front get to do or the musicians get to take charge of. It is something where everyone gets to join in. It's this wonderfully sort of democratic, egalitarian, sort of uh, perfect society where everyone can bring something and in fact are expected to and charged with. And then it goes on in verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak and the others, what should they do? They should weigh carefully what is said. And if the revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For, the God, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And there we have some wonderful instruction of what prophecy should look like. Uh, in, in church uh, context. When the church comes together um, in normal times without the sort of COVID description and perhaps more, um, uh, more with more space for it, we will be in Zoom later where uh, um, there isn't that sort of need for a microphone and there is an invitation for everyone to come in. We can expect the spirit to be present. We expect him to touch our lives to accomplish things. You know, he should bring peace where there is worry and angst. We should expect him to bring holiness where uh, uh, perhaps we are wayward and sinful and uh, rebellious and that we should eat, enjoy his joy um, perhaps as we mourn, as we struggle, um, as we are depressed and we can expect him to come through from this. And, and these are sort of these felt experiences of the Holy Spirit and part of this is prophecy. We should expect the Spirit to animate hearts and minds to speak out God's word to us. When we gather together prophecy should be part of the experience and in the church context the prophet is not a wild maverick, he's not a long head dude on the outskirts outskirts of society that just comes in and says oh you're all snakes and vipers and scorpions uh it in the in the church where people love god follow him uh the prophet comes in and we find he instructs and encourages it is the act of a loving member towards others that love god and his people and um, so when someone speaks, these are some tests we can do. Is it loving? Is it instructional? Is it encouraging? Is it something that causes my heart to soar? Or is it something else? And we've had both types in our church. We've had uh, people that come in and say stuff that just is exciting and, and you can get to grips with it and you want change in your life, in the society at large. And we've had people that have not done that. And the, the spirit that has brought their words forth is not one that the rest of the church recognises. Because you see, it is not just the prophet 
that is called by the Holy Spirit to participate in prophecy. The hearers too are to ask themselves what the Spirit is saying because the, the prophet can say stuff and then the same Spirit that's in that prophet should be in the congregation listening and they get to weigh it up. They get to say, you know what, is this from God? Just because the prophet says something from God doesn't mean it is so. And the congregation weighs it up and goes, is this true? Does this accord with scripture? Does this accord with what I know of my heavenly father? Does this accord with what the spirit has already laid on my heart? And so we have this prophet and audience, both inhabited by the spirit, both responsible in this. And, and perhaps we might get this a little bit later as we, someone speaks and the rest of us weigh it up and it's something that's uh, not an added extra uh, uh, Paul told the Corinthians this should be part of everyday church experience and we should be better for it and so I just want to encourage us seek out prophecy you don't have to be a Moses leading a people out uh, into the wilderness but you can be used by God for even short words of encouragement, of affirmation, of challenge even. And the responsibility for, for receiving that isn't the, with the prophet, it's with the audience, it's with the congregation, it's the people of God that weigh up and go, you know, is this good? Is this something we can get behind? Or is this something that we should... Uh, just uh, allow to settle and not uh, come back. And so this promise of a hearing people, of a Holy Spirit people receptive to the word of God, Moses is then to approach the throne of Pharaoh. It was quite an incredible escalation from this nomad in the desert to the leader of Israel, to the challenge of an emperor. And the wonderful thing is that with Israel knowing and listening and receiving Moses' word, there is this promise that the Israelites will flank Moses. He will come not as a lone spokesman, but as a leader of a people that recognise God's hand on his life. And they will be with him as allies. allies. And there will be this solidarity of an enslaved people coming to Moses's, coming to Pharaoh's face and saying, we need to go. You need to let us go. And out in that place, in the throne room, Moses is told to ask the king of this Egyptian empire that was vast and wealthy and opulent. He was to ask simply for passage out of Egypt. I'm struck each time by the low level demands of this Egyptian, uh, 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 these Egyptian slaves. Let us go out and worship Pharaoh. Let us pass safely through your, uh, your cities and towns. Let us pass through your domain and let us worship our God. There's no recriminations. There's no finger pointing. There's no cursing or denouncing. There is no um, uh, coming against Pharaoh. It is the simple language of let us go and worship God. Let us be free to follow uh, what uh, uh, God has told us to do. There is this sort of humble, gentle request. Let's have a big church day out, Pharaoh. 
if you have ever had a um, uh, an, uh, an important meeting that you've had to prepare for or a disciplinary procedure that you've been brought in and, and I certainly know more than my fair share of these you'll know how easy it is to look forward to this meeting and uh, become immersed in imaginary conversation you suddenly put words in the other people's mouths and plot a line that the uh, a discussion will go and and very often uh, things can get out of hand I know if I've got um, a difficult encounter to prepare for I can easily get really worked up by all the imaginary things that I expect them to say and uh, uh, my emotions will have a roller coaster from righteous anger as they lie to subservient groveling as I realize I'm completely to blame and uh, I have those in all sorts of uh, situations as I imagine uh, uh, the meeting progressing in my mind and it's so easy to come to a, uh, a meeting or an encounter uh, uh, already offended by imagined reactions and uh, guest outcomes. And things can go to bad to worse as you are already riled up. I think uh, um, it, it, it's true even in married life. You can, uh, um, you can play out a conversation and before you've even uh, had the talk, uh, you are already angry or upset or prepared to be defensive and, and it, it can be so destructive. And Yahweh saves Moses from this by saying, say this short line, say this short request for passage three days away into the desert to worship God. Let us pay homage to Yahweh, Pharaoh. And there are these simple short sentences um, that Moses is restricted to say and uh, Luke 14 says that it is good to plan and look forward into the future and make and weigh up the costs of things you do that when you become a Christian and you do that uh, uh, to run a household you have to plan and budget and all these things and and God recognizes these are good but sometimes Sometimes God asks us not to get so worked up by all that planning. Sometimes he asks us not to get uh, uh, browbeaten by every imagined eventuality because it can lead to all sorts of sorrow. We can be presented with an opportunity but by the time we've worked it all out in our minds it is a burden. Sometimes God asks us to take single steps in faith and not get intimidated by all the fantasized obstacles we create in our minds. Let's look at a very famous moment in Matthew chapter 14. It says this. You, hopefully you all know the story very well, um, but it is good to read it. Um, directly from the text so it says this in Matthew chapter 14 verse 25 oh good Francis is back nice to have you Francis shortly before dawn Jesus was out uh, went out to them walking on the lake 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, in this great moment of, uh, uh, of a very uh, Peter-like thing, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. No one else said it, did they? But Peter was there. Come, Jesus said. Wow. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Anyone doubts that Jesus uh, is to be worshipped, that is uh, 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 God incarnate. There is this moment where they worship him after this walking on water and he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't tell them off. And the text doesn't say so either because it is right and proper to worship Jesus directly. And so we have this famous moment of Peter walking on water. You know, we'd expect Jesus to, but for Peter to do so is quite uh, incredible. And um, there are times when we are invited to uh, do something incredible amongst the store. And we are not to worry and plan and fixate on all the details that threaten to overwhelm us, but we are to singularly fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, don't do this very often. You know, it's, uh, it, it's something that I regard as um, sort of a holy thing. But um, considering our first point, which raised the prominence of prophecy in the sort of Christian uh, community. I believe this is a word for someone right now. They, um, while planning and uh, uh, planning and preparation are good and proper things, there are sometimes when God calls us to walk through the storms and fix our eyes only on him and not let those other details threaten us. So I believe there are maybe one, maybe more than one, who is being welcomed onto a, uh, uh, an incredible uh, or, or a new opportunity, something um, in their life that is beckoning them. And uh, all the logistics are, are either overwhelming or, or just threaten uh, their very existence. And, and I, I think God this morning is saying, you know, take those steps of faith. I welcome you to do these. Don't look at the budget at your time. Don't look at all these other things which threaten to overwhelm you. Look at me and I will lead you in the places that you, I would have you go. So whoever that's for, I, I just hope that the spirit that's hopefully on me is on you too and that you can receive that and, and know where that is going. So while Moses is, uh, uh, is given this prepared speech, uh, uh, Yahweh 
also lets him know what's going to happen next. She says, you know what, uh, you, you have this short speech and, speech and you know what, uh, Pharaoh ain't going to like it. In fact, he is going to refuse. The Holy Spirit isn't on uh, Pharaoh. He has got no idea and he just hears this Moses, 80-year-old nomad spewing nonsense. And, and uh, God says, you know what, Pharaoh's going to resist this. He's not going to be up for it. And uh, Pharaoh is a powerful man, possibly the most powerful man of the time with his vast empire and the, uh, uh, the strength of his wealth and armies and wisdom just uh, 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 overwhelming everything before him. It will take a mighty hand to compel the mighty hand of Pharaoh. And God says that will be my hand that will overwhelm Pharaoh. And this, the power and majesty and authority of God will be so compelling that even this great ruler who has no peer possibly on the face of the earth at that time, even he will break under the gaze and efforts of God Almighty. And it is good to be reminded there is no power on earth, there is no power under the earth or over it that can stop God's purposes. The enemies may look impenetrable and unassailable, but God's hand is far stronger than any obstacle. And if you know the story, you'll know that Pharaoh refuses and then the plagues come and then the king gives in and then he doesn't give in. And there is this flip-flopping uh, of resolution uh, and uh, even after some pretty grim things happen, uh, uh, Pharaoh's mind's not made up and he actually chases them. Even after his own son has been killed, uh, he chases after them and, and only the, uh, 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 the sea uh, uh, can deal with, the, with the, the military force that they send after uh, Moses. And it reminds me of, uh, of a, a parable that Jesus told. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 16. Thank you for the uh, tuning in and uh, uh, commenting and stuff. It's uh, much appreciated. Um, and it says this in uh, Luke chapter 16, verse uh, 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered in sores and he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs, uh, these dirty, filthy, despised animals in Jewish culture, they came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And, uh, and that's a picture of heaven. Um, and the rich man also died and he was buried in Hades where he was in torment. And we get this picture of hell. In Jesus' parable, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tongue, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. I don't think that people in hell can sort of talk to people in heaven in the 
uh, eternity to come. But Jesus uh, uh, imagines this scenario to create this parable to teach us some important truths. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that is set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And then the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, you know, this father of wisdom and of the uh, uh, Jewish nation. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. These guys that written down truth, that whose words compose scripture. They have scripture, he's essentially saying, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And uh, there is this uh, cry from the rich man. You know what? Uh, the scripture's not enough. We need something more, Abraham. Let there be a miracle. Let there be a resurrection. Let that point, let that wake up, my brothers. And then listen to this rebuke. Abraham said to the rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. It's quite a powerful statement. It is so easy when we look around us to the lost. You know, people that we love, uh, people that we care about, people that we are neighbours to, People that we see regularly, we, we cry out, Lord, just let there be a miracle. Let them be stopped in their tracks. God, uh, do something that will uh, uh, cause them to turn to you. I know over uh, the many years of my life, I've prayed that again and again. You know, draw people near to you by doing something incredible, supernatural. But Jesus says something uh, rather stark here. He says, there is enough grace in the world. There is enough of God's grace in the world for those that would receive it. There is enough of God's grace in scripture to convince anyone of God's goodness and of his plan uh, uh, for rescue. There is enough grace in scripture. There is enough grace in church. There is enough grace in nature that can point any a uh, soft-hearted person into a relationship with God. You know, we pray for all these things to happen, to people to be stopped in their tracks, for healings to cause people to love God. And Jesus says, you know what? There is enough grace in this world already to convince people that will listen. If they are hard-hearted about Scripture, about church, about nature about these communications of God's grace, then do you really think something else is going to convince them? And we have this truth that believers and unbelievers, we don't need more supernatural fireworks. These aren't things that we need to chase after. We need clearer eyes and softer hearts. We need eyes that see 
and hearts that feel. We need to perceive the manifold goodness and graciousness of God in the Bible, in the church, in nature. We need to see and perceive it and uh, become more attuned to it rather than become hard and expect God to do something supernatural that in the end doesn't get to the root of the problem because the root of the problem is the clearness of our eyes and the softness of our hearts. My final point. I wonder if we have taken, just at this end of this reading from Exodus today, the magnitude of the promised victory over Egypt. It is incredible. Not only will Pharaoh change his mind, not only will mighty wonders be performed, and we will get to those in due course and, and marvel at the details of them because they are, they're not just demonstrations of strength. There's all sorts of richness to them that, that we can take in. But Israel will plunder Egypt. This little colony of slaves that have been trod underfoot time and time again will uh, uh, pillage the greatest empire of the time. As they leave, it's a fascinating language. It, it's not just the Egyptians will be scared of them or wary of them. It's not just they're just... Uh, the, the Stockholm syndrome, where they uh, they grow uh, uh, they grow affectionate just because they've been stuck with them so long. There will be an honouring of Israel by Egypt, and they will send them on with their wealth. This nation that had known slavery, maltreatment, and systematic genocide, unspeakable horrors, they will see an absolute reversal in fortune, where suddenly the Egyptians will revere, honour these. Israelites. This salvation that God is working is not by the skin of their teeth as we sometimes portray it. You know, oh, the, the soldiers got there and, and then got just by the skin of their teeth, they got saved. They would take a bounty uh, and, uh, and riches and silver and gold and they would take these from Egypt. And this silver and gold, given by these honouring pagans, it will be used to build the tabernacle, this place of worship of God, in the desert where they roam, in this uh, temporary place of worship that the, uh, the tent of meeting would be. Yahweh would be worshipped and it would be encased in the silver and gold given by Egyptians who used to be their slave owners and were now their benefactors. And as I read this, as we see this transformation, as we see the tabernacle built with the wealth of Egypt, um, I want to read something uh, that Paul writes to his kind of spiritual son, Timothy. If you've got a Bible, this is the last Bible reading. It's a 1 Timothy. One Timothy, chapter four, verse one. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So there, there is this understanding that uh, in church life there, there can be 
uh, demonic trouble. There can be spiritual attacks. And uh, this doesn't just come out through sort of uh, shrieking demoniacs uh, like in Jesus' ministry. It says this, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So we suddenly in, in Paul's writing, the demoniac, the demon-possessed person is not someone that shrieks and is obvious, but who someone brings in insidious teaching. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And some wonderful words, you know, I love this last point. For everything God created is good. Just enjoy that for a moment. Everything God created is good. Is that not a, uh, um, a harking back to Genesis chapter 1? Everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Why our family says grace. Um, not for breakfast so much, but uh, for sort of lunch and dinner, especially when we come together. We, we, we thank God for the food. You know, we understand the mechanics of it, but everything God created is good. And, you know, if you eat it with thankfulness, that is all that God asks. Now, in church life, there's always been uh, particular elements that want to elevate themselves. You know, there is a, a false piety. Um, they, what they want to do, they want to create um, uh, different levels of holiness or, or spiritual attainment. Um, and uh, uh, they want to, they think the, the values and actions of themselves kind of uh, elevates them above other people and, and so what they do they point to other things they go oh that is unhelpful or or, or sinful and, and they call out things that scripture doesn't call out and there is this story of grace that brings the church about you know what this this wonderful gift of God's son Jesus and how his body and blood you know as we uh, reenact each Sunday in the barn this body and blood it, it, it uh, it's broken for us and washes us clean and there's a story of grace and then suddenly these other people want it to be more than that and they talk about exaggerated self-denial and particular activities that you need to do to truly show that you love Jesus. Um, it sounds like in, in Paul's time that some Christians expected Jesus to come so soon that they were like you shouldn't get married you know even Christians that love uh, God whose walk together uh, will produce uh, 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 this one flesh uh, uh, that was always uh, in um, the idea when Adam and Eve were put together, um, that believers who are to, to encourage each other in the faith and, and bring up God-fearing children, that that shouldn't happen because Jesus was coming soon. And uh, Paul says this is wrong. Marriage between believers is a beautiful, glorious thing full of grace. And um, you shouldn't forbid it. And it seems that there was particular food that was forbidden. Now, it doesn't explicitly say, but it might have been food that 
um, were sacrificed to idols and you go, oh, you can't eat that. It's sacrificed to idols. Or perhaps it was meat, you know, uh, that sort of Daniel fasting. Oh, you can't eat the meat of, of kings or, uh, you know, you should be vegetarian or vegan. And this don't eat and don't taste and don't touch prohibition. Paul said, nonsense. Everything God uh, made is good. You know, so the sheep and cows and barley and uh, uh, carrots and potatoes, all these things can be eaten with eagerness and, and fish in the sea. These were given uh, to Adam and Eve to uh, uh, enjoy and have dominion over. And uh, we needn't feel guilty um, over this. And, and so when uh, uh, if Christians come into our midst and, and, and put these false uh, uh, inhibitions on us and they and that they promote a, a a false piety where people that only are vegans are somehow holier than others or or people that are single are holier than others it's kind of no you you've got it wrong you are creating a uh, a false spirituality because is it not all about grace and has god not get, made everything good and if we eat it with thanksgiving is that not exactly as he planned it is easy to imagine today that gold taken from the Egyptians shouldn't be used in places of worship or the idol meat should be shunned. You know, uh, perhaps halal meat or uh, uh, perhaps even, um, dare I say it, like money from sort of the National Lottery or something. You know what? These are dirty and, and, and we can't get involved in these. And um, it seems possible that uh, this passage uh, that Paul writes to Timothy said, everything that God makes is good and you can accept stuff. And if you are thankful for it, that is enough. And to trouble and self and to be consumed with self-doubt and uh, self-recrimination, that is uh, making the faith less than it ever was supposed to be. That is robbing it of its grace and God's goodness. Our faith should never be destabilised by uh, these things of eating and touching and marrying. Because our salvation, our salvation rests on what Jesus did. If we, uh, we honour him, if we are thankful in our actions then we uh, uh, can enjoy the good things he has put in place. We can enjoy uh, sort of meat and vegetable and fish and marriage between believers. All these things are, are stuff to be uh, uh, enjoyed and relished. And so let me encourage you, eat, drink, marry believers, laugh and play. These are the demonstrations of people that know that God created the world and that he created it good. And while there is evil, insidious evil uh, still uh, around, there is enough to find delight in. And as we live out our lives with full and grateful hearts, we honour God. We recognise that God made things good and, and he is delighted to find us delighted ourselves in him. And we are witnesses to believers as well, where we're not just sour-faced, mean-spirited people who are all on about don't eat, don't touch. 
but where we live with a full understanding of God's bountiful creation. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this story in Exodus. God, we thank you. It plays out so many truths that we find out written explicitly in the New Testament. Lord God, we present to you uh, uh, the points that were made here. Lord God, we present to you this uh, importance of prophecy, of this perhaps prophetic word uh, this morning, of uh, um, that there is already enough grace in this world to convince uh, soft-hearted people and that you made everything good. God, I pray that you would drive home the things that we need to hear this morning, that you would help us mature uh, uh, by taking in uh, the truths uh, that are particularly relevant to us right now. Lord God, we thank you that you care for our church. We thank you that you chair for, care for all my brothers and sisters that make it up. Lord God, I pray that we would know your presence today and your leading and that we would not run away from discipleship but lean into it. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Excellent. Well, thank you so much for everyone that could join us on the YouTube uh, uh, stream. Uh, we're going to now move over uh, to Zoom uh, where we're going to have some YouTube worship and we're going to have some opportunity, hopefully, for everyone to pray, you know, rather than just have it like the people authorised up front. At least they're in Zoom, we can all pray. Perhaps some prophecy. We've had that before. Some tongues together. Uh, and uh, uh, maybe some fellowship as well. Um, so we're going to close down. Um, I've sent out the Zoom ID. Uh, if you need it, I'll try and sort of send it out to you again. Um, and what time is it? So I reckon, give us 10 minutes. So at half 11, uh, we'll begin Zoom uh, conference. And, uh, it, um, and uh, it'll be good to see you there. So uh, uh, goodbye and God bless. Thank you.